Welcome to the New Mana Podcast, an Arch KCK production. Welcome back to New Mana, your newest favorite Catholic podcast on the Holy Eucharist. My name is Lee McMahon, your host, and I serve as consultant for evangelization at the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. But don't be fooled if you've got a pulse. This podcast is for you. If you are hungry for more, if you're fed up with the empty promises, the cotton candy of the world, Jesus has more for you. We have been called the communion in Christ. We have been given the mission of bringing people to Jesus and bringing revival to the church. So our title, New Manna, comes from John 6, 58. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus is the new manna. He is the bread of life, and he gives himself totally to us in the Holy Eucharist every single day. Come on, Jesus. Thank you. Guys, really excited. We've got an awesome episode for you. Thanks for tuning in today. But first, before I introduce our amazing guest, I want to say thank you to everyone who has left us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You're actually helping us get the word out there that Jesus is alive, that he is about a good work, and that he is truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the most holy Eucharist. I'm sitting here today with the one and only Miss Emily Lopez. Once again, we're going to be co-hosting this episode because of how excellent it is. That's a play on words, which we'll get into in just a second. But Emily, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks, Lee. Yeah. Uh, So about our guests, I want to introduce our amazing guest today. We are joined by Archbishop Joseph Nauman of the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. Archbishop, hello. Hello. And second special guest, super special guest, is Bishop Andrew Cousins of the Diocese of Crookston, Minnesota. Hello. Delighted to be with you, Lee. So good to be here. Um, Archbishop, It's we've been long overdue getting you on the podcast, so thanks for uh, finally making the time. It's a, it's a blessing to have you. Well, thank you. Thanks for um, putting together this uh, component of our efforts at Eucharistic Revival, and glad to be with uh, listeners on five continents. Uh, Pretty cool, right? <laughs> yeah, that's good. Could you tell us a little bit about our guest today? Yes, Bishop Cousins. I, I like to say when he became a bishop, I think it's 10 years ago now, um, that he raised the IQ of the bishops' conference <laughs> quite a bit. And uh, he's, you know, he's been a real gift to the conference. Um, he's a native of St. Paul, Minneapolis Archdiocese and became an auxiliary bishop there. Um, he's also the chair of our Committee for Evangelization and Catechesis. And it's that committee that really, under his predecessor, uh, Bishop Barron, that originated the idea of doing some kind of Eucharistic revival. Uh, I think Bishop Cousins was a member of the committee at that time. Mm. But because of uh, COVID and other things, it, it really didn't take off until he became the chair. He was elected to be the chair of the committee. And so he's really been the pilot for the bishops conference and um getting this off the ground and really i think he's um helped to to inspire the bishops to really make this a priority and get behind it mm-hmm. um and but he's uh he's a very gifted talented bishop and we glad we're glad he has a kansas connection because he's a Love graduate it. of benedictine college as well so that's yeah He's a raven. <laughs> That's right. Go Ravens. Yeah. I see that you're originally from Denver. Is that right? Yeah, I grew up in Denver, but then I came to college here at Benedictine College, and then after that ended up settling in the Twin Cities. I, I served as a uh, in youth ministry there with NET Ministries, the National Evangelization Teams, and then 
ended up entering seminary there in St. Paul, Minneapolis, and that's where I was ordained a priest, an auxiliary bishop, before becoming the Bishop of Crookston just 18 months ago. All right. And how long were you a net missionary? Just for one year, traveled okay. around the around the country with uh, in a van with a suitcase. It was great. Right. <laughs> oh man, that's fantastic. I know Net has touched a lot of lives, and um, you know you've big names like Matt Froud as well. Who like there there are so many connections to Net, and I know SPO also has based out of Minneapolis, right? That's correct. Yeah, and I was also an SPO missionary for a year of formation while I was oh, wow. preparing for priesthood. Yeah, shout out to all the SPO missionaries who are currently in. Uh, formation summer training up in their home base in Minneapolis so but let's get into it I I think people are just they would love to know not just who you are but how you fell in love with the Lord in the Eucharist Archbishop feel free to speak in what's your love story with Jesus in the Eucharist yeah so you know I was blessed uh, as perhaps many of our listeners to grow up in a very believing family Um, my my father Uh, was killed. He was murdered when my mother was pregnant with me. So I never knew my father, but he chose an extraordinary mother for me. And my, my mother, um, you know, she grieved the death of my father and she didn't believe that God desired him to die the way he did. That was a result of sin. But she also, she, and I was, you know, I was immune to this. I was in her womb. I didn't know. But when I got to be about a teenager, I started talking to family members and friends. And they would tell me that my mother's faith at that time really Mm -hmm. inspired them in many ways. And my mother would go back to uh, college. She got her degree. She became a teacher. Mm -hmm. Eventually, she was a principal in the school's. And when I was an auxiliary bishop in St. Louis and I would be doing confirmations, oftentimes uh, one of the parents or sponsors would come up and they didn't care that I was a bishop. They sure. wanted to talk to me because I was Mrs. Nauman's son. There you go. And, and uh, tell me how she had touched them and helped them in their education, but particularly their faith life. And she had this great love for the Eucharist. Um, the expectation was that my, I have one brother that, a couple of years older is that we would go to mass every day Mm. and this uh, we were growing up before uh the reform so we would saturday there wasn't a vigil mass back then but Mm. um but we were we were expected you'd go to mass on saturday you know no days off from the eucharist and when we were in high school and my mother was teaching at the time but she'd get up at like to go to mass at 5 30 a.m at a neighboring parish come home, cook breakfast for us. And then, then she would go to mass with her students, but she wanted to go to the early mass because she couldn't really focus (laughs) on Jesus. She had to be watching her students during the school mass. Uh, But that was just an indication. My grandparents lived below us, my maternal grandparents and the two family flat. And my grandfather um, it always amazed me. He was a, a success in his business career, but he would get up at 2 a.m. on Saturday morning and go for an adoration holy hour. Wow. So I had these amazing examples growing up, and yeah. I went into the seminary right out of elementary school, and um, that was um, wasn't uncommon at that time. And there right. are, but um, and so I. I I was surrounded by faith, and and um, partially because my father had died, I think the priest in our parish took a special interest mm-hmm. in my brother and I. Sure. And 
so priests were friends of our family. It was natural for me to think about that. And uh, I was open to a call to the priesthood, but I certainly didn't know I was called to be a priest. Yeah. But, so when I kind of went on, I liked the men I was studying with. I, I liked the, uh, the high school seminary, went into the college seminary. And I got to my sophomore year of college. And um, up until that time, everything we had studied, we could use for almost anything else. But junior year, we entered into our major, which was philosophy, and there are limited applications for philosophy outside of the right. priesthood. And so that was a moment of truth for a lot of us. And it was a very chaotic, chaotic time. This was in the 1960s. Yeah. There were race riots in our streets. There were riots about the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. The sexual revolution was exploding. Um, there was, you know, there was this rebellion against all authority. And where did you go to uh, seminary? So it was in St. Louis. The, in St. Louis, yeah. Okay. So at that time, it was the college seminary, Cardinal Glennon College, and Kenrick's the theology school. But okay. um, so I was pretty confused at that point in my life. Uh, I, you know, I wasn't sure about the call to priesthood, but I was having doubts of faith as well, and so. The rector of the seminary, they had instituted this program the year before that between our sophomore and junior year, there was like this six-week retreat. Well, a number of us, we didn't, we didn't think this was a good idea. In those, <laughs> day, in those days, we had to work during the summer to kind of pay for our tuition. Yeah. And um, so we went in to see the rector and told him, you know, we thought this was a mistake. It was going to create a hardship for us. And, he, he gave a very useful line. He said to us, gentlemen, uh, this program is is voluntary but not optional. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was voluntary if you chose to stay in the seminary, but it wasn't optional if you were. And it began with an eight-day silent retreat. Hmm. And I went into the retreat master at the beginning, and I said, you know, I, I just told him, I said, I'm confused. And he said, you don't know if you want to be a priest? I said, yeah, I don't know that, but I don't know, I don't know if I believe in God and if there is a God that Jesus is mm. His Son. And he goes, "You're pretty confused." <laughs> but he he gave me a great recommendation. He said, "I just want you to spend these days and go into the the chapel in the presence of Blessed Sacrament." He referred me to the eleventh chapter of Saint Luke's Gospel where the disciples asked Jesus one of their better questions that teach us how to pray. Right. And he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. But then after the, that, there's this parable about a man who has unexpected guests and he goes to his neighbor to ask for some bread because he doesn't have any bread to feed his guest and he bangs on the neighbor's door. The neighbor doesn't want to answer, but he's waking up his whole household. So mm -hmm. finally, because of his persistence, um, he 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 gets up and gives them the bread and and that's one of the a couple of examples where Jesus in his instruction about prayer talks about perseverance and right right after that he says you know knock and the door will be open to you seek, yeah, yeah all of that so what he told me he says I just want you to go there and knock on God's door ask him to reveal himself to mm. you to make his presence uh, real to you and it was really those eight days that changed my life. But for the first time, I experienced yeah. Christ's love, even though I've been um, going to Mass all my life. But up until that time, uh, the real presence of Jesus really hadn't penetrated into my heart. 
Uh, but I, I experienced being loved by him in a way and a, a peace that right. I had not experienced before. And so I, I came out of that, those eight days and those six weeks, um, convinced at that point that uh, the most important thing I could do with my life would be to lead others to come to experience what right. I had experienced those days. So, so the Eucharist had a very powerful. Amen. Yeah, I mean, being being in the presence of our Lord is is life changing, uh, whether we know it or not. Whether we have the aha moment, or we're struck by lightning, or if it's just as gentle thawing of our heart, if you will. Almost everybody, it's like okay, in the presence of our Lord in the Eucharist, something happened. Mm-hmm. Some of the, you know whether or not they're able to put words to it, uh, something happened there. And Jesus, he tells us time and again, you shall know them by their fruit and the fruits of the Holy Spirit being present upon your exit, uh, the peace that you've never felt or experienced before. Um, Praise the Lord. That's amazing. Yeah. Bishop, what about you? Yeah, every story is unique, but mine has some similarities to the Archbishop. I grew up also in a good Catholic family and, uh, it was actually when I was in the second grade, actually, no, excuse me, when I was in the first grade, my uh, parish priest came into my classroom and he said, is Andrew Cousins here? I said, yes, Monsignor. And uh, he said, can you step out in the hallway? Of course, I thought I was in trouble. Mm. And then he said, uh, can, do you know your act of contrition? I was in first grade. I said, yes, Monsignor. He said, well, start saying it because you're going to make your first confession. So I made my first, then I really thought I was in trouble, you know. <laughs> my first confession was there in the hallway of the school. And then he said, uh, tell your mom that this Sunday you're going to make your first communion. Hmm. So uh, my mom was teaching the second grade, preparing the kids for first communion. And uh, I went into her and I told her after class and I said, you know, um, Monsignor says I'm making my first communion this Sunday. She said, you go tell Monsignor I need at least a week to get you ready. (laughs) (laughs) So I made my first communion 10 days later. But he had found out that he was going to leave the parish. He had just turned 70. Mm. And uh, he wanted me to serve Mass for him before he left the parish. So I had to make my first Holy Communion. So I made it ahead of all my classmates. Right. I have a very distinct memory of him teaching me to genuflect and the reason that we genuflect. And... I also have a very distinct memory of kneeling at the altar and sensing the Lord's presence there, even in mm. first grade. Mm. And, and it wasn't long before I said to my mom, I think I want to be a priest like Monsignor. Of course, he loved that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and even though he did retire and left the parish, I, I continued to serve Mass growing up and serve Mass with him whenever I could. And mm. often at the end of Mass, if I was there, and he, he would say, now, he would say, now, Drew, that's people called me, uh, tell the people what you're going to be. And I'd say, I'm going to be a priest. And he'd say, like who? <laughs> I'd say, like you, Monsignor. And uh, actually, when I was ultimately ordained a priest, he gave me his chalice. He was ordained a priest in 1938. Wow. And I celebrated his funeral mass as a priest, too. But um, so from an early age, I, I believed in the Lord's presence in the Eucharist and had a, had a sense right. of the Lord's closeness. And that always stayed with me. It didn't mean that I, I always lived that way. Sure. And uh, actually, you know, even here when I was at Benedictine College, my first couple of years, I, I, I didn't necessarily live the discipleship that I wish I had. And, uh, but it was really the experience of my sister who had been a senior at Benedictine College and she ended up serving on net. Mm-hmm. And then her net team came to Kansas and I got to go on a retreat and watch what they were doing. 
And I remember driving home from that retreat thinking, uh, I'm not living like those young people, but I, but I should be. Hmm. And uh, that led to some deeper kind of experiences with the Lord, encounters with the Lord's mercy and prayer and, and encounter with the Lord's goodness that made me really desire to follow him much more closely, um, which ultimately led me to serving on that myself after graduation and, and uh, ultimately going to seminary. So um, the Eucharist was always there for me. There is one story I like to tell, though, because I don't know if you ever experienced this, Archbishop Nauman, but when I was getting close to ordination, you know, just like two months before, I had a, a doubt, maybe we even call it a scruple. And it was this question, you know, I always believed Jesus was really present in the Eucharist when somebody else was saying those mm-hmm. words. Will I believe when I'm the one who says it? <laughs> and uh, the thought occurred to me, like with a little bit of fear and trembling, and but I, I remember so beautifully actually my first mass, which was at the cathedral in St. Paul. Mm. And I remember very clearly saying the words, this is my body over the bread, and then holding it up and setting it on the pad and, and genuflecting. And yeah. I had no doubt that I was genuflecting before the, the Son of the Living God, before wow. the, the King of the Universe. And it's the faith of the church, you know, that provides and then, of course, gives meaning to your life going forward. Yeah. How, how does a finite mind contemplate this infinite reality? Me, a mere mortal man, you, first mass in the cathedral, confecting our Lord in the Holy Eucharist that was just this piece of bread, but now is the King of the Universe. So tell me a little bit about what your relationship with the Lord looks like today, uh, in particular with respect to the Eucharist. I mean, surely as bishops, or you celebrate Mass every day, um, but what what else does that devotion look like for you? Well, I, you know, living in a residence that was built to be a bishop's residence, it's a blessing because there's a beautiful chapel. And, um, and so the Blessed Sacrament is right there. I have no excuse for not. Right praying in the presence of our Eucharistic Lord. And, um, yeah, I try to begin each day in that chapel and try to give the first hour of the day to the Lord. And, um, you know, I pray over the the Word of God, and I pray the some of the liturgy of the hours that we commit to praying. Um, but I, part of it is just praising God and thanking Him for the gift of a new day. And then I, I look at my calendar and I look at where I'm going to be and who I'm going to be with and what I'm going to be doing. And I go, Lord, help mm. me. Uh, give me the words that you want me to say. Wow. And help me to recognize your presence and these people that I'm going to be with and the events that I'm going to be part of. And um, so the you know the day begins in the presence of the right. And then you know we're privileged to be able to celebrate the Eucharist every day and sometimes as a bishop or a priest several times a day right and um and but each celebration is unique uh and 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 special and you know that's one of my prayers that for myself and for those that are participating that we can realize the miracle in which we're participating mm-hmm. and uh, that the lord of lords and king of kings yeah. makes himself present to us and and i end the day in that chapel um, yeah, and 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 kind of think about all of the the calendar and all the places I've been and who I've been mm-hmm. with, and again say, Lord, what were you trying to teach me today? Um, and also to think about 
things I wish I wouldn't have said or <laughs> wouldn't right. have thought, wouldn't yeah. have done, and ask the Lord for his mercy and forgiveness and, and um, yeah, and help me to give yeah. a restful night, be ready to work for him tomorrow. That's an amazing, uh, I don't think I've ever even thought about doing that, of praying over my calendar, yeah. not just the calendar, but the people that I will see, the hearts that I'll have the opportunity to, to bear witness to. Uh, just through not only just your presence, but yeah, our life is ministry. If we adopt this this true Christian, this Catholic paradigm of of life, like everywhere we go, we have we are called to be Christ mm. uh, to everywhere and to every sphere of influence, and just how wonderful and powerful of a of a witness that is. So I'm gonna start doing that. <laughs> Thanks. I recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> Bishop Cousins, what about you? You know, uh, when I I got I went to the St. Paul Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, and uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, went to the St. Paul Seminary, mm -hmm. and it was in the chapel there, St. Mary's Chapel at our seminary, that he made a commitment that he would do a holy hour every day as a priest before mm -hmm. the Blessed Sacrament. And I read his book when I was in seminary, and I, I made that same commitment, you know, to, to try to do a holy hour every day of my priesthood. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, that's been one of the beautiful gifts, and it is a beautiful gift as a bishop to, to live in the house with the Blessed Sacrament and to be able to have that right there every morning. Um, thankfully, I've kind of always lived in a house with the Blessed Sacrament ever since I was ordained a priest, whether yeah. that was a seminary or even a parish house that where we had permission to have a chapel. Um, and, you know, the Eucharist, it just becomes uh, your constant companion, you know. Uh, Jesus wants to be our life's companion, and especially as a priest or a bishop, he just lives so close to the Eucharist. And the daily celebration, you know, John Paul II, uh, he said, the Eucharist is the secret of my day. It gives meaning and purpose mm -hmm. to all my activities. And you start to see everything in light of this gift to the Father mm -hmm. that we're privileged to be a part of at the Mass, and then also the gift that we received of Jesus who now wants to live in us and act through us and and really, this is what's meant to happen with the life of a, of a priest or a bishop. That, you know, we're changed by the Eucharist if we allow it, right? Yeah. And uh, there's a line that Cardinal Ratzinger, when he was a bishop in, at, a, at an ordination, he said, he said, you know, it, you cannot but uh, hold the Lord every day in your hands with love. You can't say those words every day with love and not be changed by it. Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, we may lag behind, we may not always keep up with the Lord, but if we cling to him, he'll change us and he'll, yeah. he'll pull us along. And he says, he says, that's the, the truth about the Eucharist. Either we shake it off with all its demands upon us or we surrender to it. And that's what happens in the life of a priest or a bishop who stays close to it. But it happens to anyone who decides to really live a Eucharistic life, even yeah. if their life doesn't allow them to go to mass every day. Um, it, it, their life will be changed by it if they surrender themselves to it. Right. And how powerful it must be as, as bishops, because the world is trying pulling at you from a million different directions, like all the time, every day. You know, here we are asking you for, you know, uh, 45 minutes to record a podcast. You're on priest retreat. You know, it just doesn't stop, right? Um, but how, how wonderful to, to consider that you have a direct line uh, that you can pick up anytime with our Lord in the Holy Eucharist. Because, yes, this is a corporate sacrifice that we are doing this together as community, but also it's your direct line. Yeah. 
Yeah, you don't get put on hold or get a recorded <laughs> message. <laughs> right. No voicemail. Yeah, <laughs> I think especially for priests, though, that it says something about the relationship the Father desires that he wants to work through you. He could give us Jesus any way he wanted, right, as God, but that he desires to use your hands and your words and your life to bring Jesus to others, you know, that, that it, and it depends on your yes, you know, that, that there's still this respect for your uh, personal will to submit and surrender to be that gift. I think even, you know, in, in a broad scheme of what kind of father we have in God that would never even for our own good go against our will, mm-hmm. you know, that that's an incredible love. It's just incredible. Yeah. He likes to use the weak. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. that, it makes it more obvious that he's doing that right right but um yeah but i you know you can talk to me anytime but you've got bishop cousins here (laughs) sure and uh i'd love for him to maybe talk a little bit about the revival and please do and what 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 inspired it and yeah what he hope what he his dream for it is ball is in your court bishop Thanks. Yeah. So um, it's been just a great privilege. You know, some of the greatest things in my life are things that kind of fell into my lap, which is what happened with the Eucharistic Revival. Was elected chair of this committee, and uh, the idea was already there, but it had to be built and, and shared. You know, and it's been a really a privileged experience to see the Holy Spirit at work, and just to see. I said from the beginning we wanted to start a fire and not a program, and that's yeah. exactly what we're seeing. Like. You know, here I am in Kansas City. You're doing this podcast about the Eucharistic revival, and come on, and this is happening everywhere, right? And uh, it's really been a fire that takes off, and it just shows to me that it was the Holy Spirit's idea, and it was the right idea at the right time. Mm-hmm. Of course, we know we're living in difficult times, and really in a time of crisis, and um, a crisis of people who don't fully understand, even our our Catholics, who don't fully understand the gift of the Eucharist, and. You know, here we are 50 years after Vatican II, where this great renewal was given to us. And the renewal being, you know, this understanding of the Eucharist is the source and the summit of our lives. Mm-hmm. And and yet 60 to 70 percent of the Catholics don't understand that. And mm-hmm. so that really got the bishop's attention. And it's been beautiful to see the bishops engage their desire to educate, inspire our, our people so that they can come to this encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist. Right. Just we're talking about right here, right? How does it happen? How do you meet Jesus? When you do, it makes all the difference, mm-hmm. right? When you actually encounter that Jesus is alive and he's present here and he wants to actually teach me how to live through my celebration of the Eucharist and he wants to make us one and he wants to inspire us to mm-hmm. bring his love to the world, all that happens through the Mass and through Eucharist. So um, uh, the, the, to see the bishops so inspired about it has been right. such a great gift. I also think it's it's a real spiritual movement, you know. People have been asking me, well, do you hope that, you know, when we're done, we'll be able to take a survey and, the, you know, we'll be up to like 55% of people <laughs> who believe. And, of course, I would love that, you know. I'd love it if, if, you know, more and more people come. But to me, it's also about strengthening the heart of the church. And as I, as I go around, I speak on this and I see people coming to life. And that's what a revival is, right? We, we're bringing back to life the yeah. church and uh really the eucharist is the heart of the church and so if we're strengthened in that understanding of what the eucharist is then we're going to be able to live this more profoundly in the world and we're going to be more who we should be right. in the world because we know and we're rooted in the eucharist 
you think of these experiences that we're just talking about, like Archbishop Nauman's mother taking him to daily mass, like how that formed yeah. him to be the man that he is. And it's, it's because that's Jesus's plan, right? right. Mm-hmm. And if we surrender our lives to this and come to understand his presence, it's going to transform us. I think it's especially true for our young people. You know, the, all the studies show uh, when you talk to people who pursue a vocation, young women, young men, something like over 80% of them will say, well, it was in Eucharistic adoration where I heard mm-hmm. the call, Yeah. right? And uh, our young people, when they're awakened to this mystery, they, they find this great treasure. It really strengthens them. And that, I think, is kind of the key to them not leaving the church later in life because... Yeah. As I often say to them, there's no there's no other place in the world you can find this except right here right. at this altar. Yeah, right. That's I mean that's baptism in the Holy Spirit is is having a moment of encounter with our Lord in which you can't go on living the same way that you came in. Like exactly. your life is changed because exactly. of what you encountered. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's our real hope, especially now we're just ending the the diocesan year. We're really hoping that parishes will engage the Eucharistic revival, and we're hoping every parish has a parish point person. Um, and, uh, those, you know, you can sign up on our website, eucharisticrevival.org Check and it out. parish point persons, and mm-hmm. you can sign up to be a parish point person and learn about it and, and how to, how to sh- bring this to your own parish. And we're going to have incredible opportunities in the parish year. We're producing a really high quality, small group, uh, study that will both help people to share their faith so that they can witness to each other but also give really good catechesis. We're doing that in collaboration with the Augustine Institute. It's going to have bishops uh, involved in it and lots of lay people giving testimonies and a real great opportunity to open hearts to that encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist. Um, and so the hope of that parish year is that, you know, parishes will in fact begin to learn how can they reach out to those people within the parish mm-hmm. who maybe they send their kids to the Catholic school or religious education program, but they yeah. don't come to Mass every Sunday because mm-hmm. they haven't yet met Jesus in the Eucharist. But then we really hope that every parish will send a delegation to the National Eucharistic Congress. And to me, this is one of the most exciting things we're doing. Uh, this will be the 10th National Eucharistic Congress. Most people don't know that we had nine of them. And that's because right. the last one was in 1941 in St. Paul, Minnesota. Wow. wow. And uh, there was a real movement that was beginning that uh, World War II put an end to. You know, So in 1926, we had the International Eucharistic Congress in Chicago. More than a million people showed up for the closing mass at, at Mondelein Seminary, right? And uh, then in 1930, we had the first National Eucharistic Congress that was kind of open to the laity. Mm. And much to the surprise of the organizers, 50,000 people showed up. This is during the, wow. That's, 1930. Wow, yeah. Yeah. Then they did it again in, uh, I think it was in Cincinnati in 1936 or 35. This is during the Great Depression. Yeah. In, 19, in Cincinnati, 80,000 people showed up. They had rented a like a, a $10,000 stadium, $10,000 per stadium. They had to move it to the outdoor stadium on. at the last minute. And then they did it in New Orleans, and you had 100,000 people in yeah. 1939. Then St. Paul in 1941, 100,000 people. Then the war hit, and they weren't able to do it, and it just mm. never started again. Mm. We did have an International Eucharistic Congress in 1976 in Philadelphia. 1.5 million people came, mm. wow. including some like an unknown Polish cardinal named Karol Wojtyła. Who's that, who's that guy? <laughs> Who became St. John Paul II. Right. And that two years later, he was elected pope, right? Mm-hmm. Interesting, because in 1941, Eugenio Pacelli, who was the cardinal who would become Pius XII, mm-hmm. was, was, at, was the papal representative in, to St. Paul in 1941. Oh, wow. So uh, 
the, the Eucharistic Congress, which will be July 17 to 21, 2024, is going to be a great gathering of the U.S. Church. And it's going to be an opportunity for us, one, to hold up the Lord, mm. right? And the Lord says, when I am lifted up, I will call all people to myself, right? Yeah. So we're going to be able to hold up the Lord in the Eucharist and proclaim our love, but also in a chance to encounter him in the church and really to be formed as missionaries mm-hmm. so that when we leave that place, we're inspired to go back to our parishes and, right. and really begin, continue this important missionary work that we have to do in our parishes. Right. So. If you, if you will, the revival's a movement, but the movement needs to have a moment of Pentecost, and that's really what we're praying yeah. Indianapolis Amen. will be. Yeah, yeah. the sending happens after the Spirit is given, so come on. Like Mass itself, I, I mean, I've, I've heard a few folks talk about how the, the revival itself is not just about adoration. It's, it's about the Mass, right? And, you know, you, there's no Eucharist without Mass. Amen, amen. But Mass itself, the word Mass, I just love focusing on this because it means sent. It means go. Literally, the word from Latin means to go, to be sent. So, yeah, it's it's not just a, a come and get and come and receive. It's first, yes, that, but it's also, okay, now go and get out because we've got work to do. Yeah, we've been focusing all along really on two things, we encounter and mission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Inviting people to an encounter, and when they have that encounter, then to help them be sent and equipped for mission. Mm-hmm. We just know the church in the United States needs this missionary conversion. And it's going to take a long time for us to do it, but this is a great, I think, opportunity for us as a church to experience a great step forward. Yeah, and as we kind of wrap up our time together today, a lot of listeners out there, uh, Catholic, not Catholic, uh, from anywhere in the world, uh, might be on the fence themselves about the Holy Eucharist. So what advice would you give to anybody who, yeah, who might just be on the fence with the reality that Jesus is truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in this, this Eucharist that we have? I'd probably say a couple things. One, I loved the advice that Archbishop Nauman got from the priest on his retreat, which is knock, ask, mm-hmm. seek. Go before Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament and ask him to reveal himself because he's alive there, and he will if you ask him with an open heart. Um, of course, it's helpful to study Jesus' own words you know, from the scriptures where he speaks about his life, his flesh and blood. But then another really important thing is, is testimony. Like we who do believe need to give testimony to that because it's witnesses that opens the heart and opens the mind and the imagination to what's really possible here. Mm. Um, and so many people come to an encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist after some kind of witness or testimony to it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, I, um, I've told this story to people here in the Archdiocese when I was early here in the Archdiocese. It was a hot August day and the air conditioning went out. So this air conditioning repairman comes to the house and uh, at some point we strike up a conversation and he says, "Uh, Archbishop, I grew up a Methodist. My wife and I, we go to this evangelical church. But he said, I consider myself more Catholic than Protestant. I said, really? Why do you say that? And he said, well... First of all, my wife and I, we have 10 children. I said, wow, <laughs> thank you for your openness to life. And, but he said more than that, he said, I believe what you believe about the Eucharist. He said, I don't know how my Protestant brothers and sisters read the sixth chapter of John's gospel right. and don't believe that Jesus is truly present. I said, wow, you should be Catholic. <laughs> but he wasn't ready uh, to, to sign up for RCIA. But you were telling some beautiful things today to the the priest on the retreat about how some of our Protestant brothers and sisters are really awakening to a sense of the real presence. Yeah, it's really true. There's a movement amongst some of the largest 
evangelical preachers, Francis Chan, you know, yep. recently has said, you know, I can't believe that nobody told me for 1,500 years we believed this really was the body and blood of Jesus and not just mm -hmm. a symbol. Yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, Benny Hinn, you know, he said more Catholics are being healed by coming to communion than you than in our Pentecostal church because they yeah. believe it really is the body and blood of Jesus, not just a symbol. Yeah. So, you know, they're not there yet in terms of joining the church, but I believe there's a movement of the Holy Spirit, you know, in fact, even some evangelical preachers have been saying they've been receiving a word that there's a, a communion revival in yeah. the body and blood of the Lord. Uh, and uh, so I think the, there's a movement of the Holy Spirit as the Lord is you know, preparing the church more profoundly for himself, that the Eucharist is going to be at the heart of that. Yeah, and I would say too, because I know you have listeners who aren't Catholic, but come to our, our, our churches, come to our adoration chapels and just be in the presence of the Eucharist there and and, yeah. and invite invite the Lord in, invite him to reveal himself to you yeah. in those places. And and for our Catholics the same thing. Uh, mm -hmm. you were you were talking today about how adoration it really shows what we really say in the Mass is is what we truly believe, huh? Yeah, yeah it's true because, you know, if you would ask some of the Protestants about what they believe about the Eucharist. They might say they believe in the real presence, but if you say, yes, but is this consecrated host worthy of the adoration due to God alone? Mm -hmm. Would you bend your knee before it? They would say, well, no. And it's because they haven't fully grasped the power of the real presence. Right. No, actually, Jesus is so present here, we bend our knee, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's worthy of the adoration due to God alone. Yeah. I'm just so grateful. Thank you, Archbishop, for the time and Bishop Cousins. I. I think you hit it when you said the testimony and that we are all called through our baptism and the grace that God's given us in relationship to share that testimony and to recognize the value of that, you know, just the, the openness to God and the desire to serve him with our lives that, you know, we, we reflect the peace and the love and the hope and all of these things that attract the world around us, even though they might not be desiring Jesus or desiring the church. When we live what we know to be true, that truth is attractive to other people. And there's always opportunity, and it might be scary, and we might not feel equipped, but the Holy Spirit's never going to fail us in showing up in those moments. And um, I, I just appreciate what you've said and what you've led in the church. There's a deep desire, I think, especially from the young people, that if, if the authenticity exists in our church, we have to live boldly into that. And it takes leadership, strong leadership like the two of you provide the church, to say this isn't going to be easy, but it's true and it's good and it's what we were made for and we can do this together. So uh, not just for me, but from children that I'm hoping to raise in the church. I'm just, I'm grateful for the eternal perspective that the church and the sacraments offer us and and work every day that I do in and out of the church to, to build a better church, a better community of believers for my children, really. So thank you for what you do for the church that they're going to be a part of. You guys want to fight over who closes us with the blessing? I think we should have the Archbishop do it. We're in his territory. <laughs> All right. But um, just a word of thanks to Bishop Cousins. He has been an amazing leader amongst the bishops, and um, and it's it's been a, a, a huge undertaking. But he, he the Holy Spirit's right, raised up the right person for mm -hmm. this. Amen. So, Lord, we just thank you for... The, the gift of faith. And we pray for all of our listeners today. We pray that um, for so many of them that have encountered you and know you, that they can be 
great witnesses of the truth and the beauty of your of your gospel in the world. And we pray for those that perhaps are listening today that haven't encountered you, that, Lord, we, we ask you to reveal yourself to them and draw them close to you as you desire. You can use your, your holy word of God, but also uh, your presence in the Eucharist. Lord, help us um, grow in our awe for this amazing miracle that you've given to us, the Lord of lords and King of kings becoming the bread of life. We thank you for this, and we praise you. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today for this amazing episode. This has been New Mana. We'll see you next week. Bye.